And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Panic. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Yeah, I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer and much more extraordinary at The Athletic. Fred Katz going to be joining us soon. Slater, brother, the, the people can't see us. This is a playoff pod. We are rugged. We are sleep deprived. We are making terrible health choices that we just talked about off the air. Have you seen that gif where it's uh, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and like so, I think it might be well somebody in the show says like we to him and he goes we and he's still <laughs> saying, we we are making bad health decisions. We I'm, I'm having a nice uh, I'm having a nice lemon ginger tea right now. I'm feeling pretty good morning. And you're after. home. That's the part I'm jealous about. So, uh listen, we're going to dive into the playoffs on this week's pod. We're going to talk defensive player of the year fred has takes strong opinions about marcus smart winning that award but the uh the, the road life and the color that we're alluding to here is that slayer and i both were at warriors nuggets game two uh if the listeners don't know or forgot or you know any of the above we both live in northern california um but uh you know the, the drive is a little different for both of us so so i ended up grabbing a, a cheap hotel halfway home slater i'm, I'm out here in the fairfield courtyard marriott writing until three o'clock in the morning trying to give the people what they want and uh, i was telling you it's like a couple weeks of of good nutritional choices on my part some exercise we were we were turning a corner and then you roll by that mini mart at the hotel and you just need a little extra juice and i'm not even going to confess to what actually was was eaten last night at three in the morning but it was not pretty I've been there. I might be there in a couple of days because that's the road life for me. You know, I'll be in Denver for five days, and that's just the playoffs, Sam. Just embrace it. It, it. It's what I'm proud of you is that you preemptively attacked what was coming with the good few weeks lead up from a health I did. perspective. Yeah, yeah to I did. lay the groundwork so you could have nights like this because you will have plenty. I'm sure moving it's forward. It's a long haul, though. That's what you've I've learned. The, you know, the the hard way, and you got to remember is you're talking. Two months, you know what I'm saying? If you had do this job for a living and you and you have two months every year where you make bad choices the entire time, you know, I was never all that strong at math, but that's one-sixth of the calendar year. So that's not a good idea. You got to pace yourself. I'm off to a bad start. Well, yeah, three days in, by the way. <laughs> uh, and you're sprawled out in the uh, courtyard of Fairfield. If anyone ever drives by Fairfield, California now, they can look at that hotel and go, <laughs> that's where that column was written. Nut tree lane, come by and see me. All right, let's talk hoop, man. We uh, it, it was fun to be at these last two Warriors games. Uh, I say Warriors because they were hosting those Nuggets. They did show up, uh, less so in game one or game two than game one, and really not nearly enough in either one. But let's get into we're gonna get into all the series. Um, hey, we got Fred Katz joining us. Fred, good morning. Just a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being you. late, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, don't, don't, don't slow down the train because you're the late one. We're diving into Warriors Nuggets, Fred, and we will eventually get to your hot defensive player of the year takes. But Slater and I go to Warriors Nuggets. Um, man, it was a night. Uh, Chase Center, Slater. Let's get your quick thoughts there. For me, um, what has actually been really interesting 
to see unfold in these first couple of games, even beyond the series itself and the Jordan Poole ascension and explosion and Steph Curry coming off the bench and Jokic obviously going down an infamous path uh, for MVPs that, that look like he's going to fall in the first round, is the building itself. You have this uh, this kind of basketball castle, if you will, that is, uh, it, you know, it's a tough act to follow Oracle Arena. And these are the first playoff games in this setting. And, and so that part has been interesting, seeing the fans kind of figure out their own identity and are they going to come anywhere near the old days in Oakland and players react to it. Uh, nothing replaces Oracle, but, you know, it's been pretty vibrant. Yeah, crowd has been really good. You know, they got a Saturday night game, uh, obviously the Monday night game. But the one thing I was wanting to check out most was uh, the expensive sections. We have talked about the bunker suites before on this podcast. I've actually yeah. done one episode from the bunker suite, if, if people are loyal listeners. Um, but, you know, a lot of times during the regular season, in the bunker suites, the regular suites, and then the theater boxes, you'd have to kind of know the arena layout. But there's three like really high end sections, and even the regular seats have these like back end bars. That's the new wave of, of new arenas. People are kind of late to get in, late to get out. Sometimes during the game, they'll be down there because it's. I mean, it's it's luxury living. It's it's good food. It's good drinks. It's it's really nice, um, and it'll look like the arena. It has you know, fewer people than it does just because they're in the back sections of the arena. To me, the first two games, I mean, you even look at the bunker suite section, which typically is like, you know, half full because of all the people back there. Like it's, it's not only full, but like you, the people are like sitting in their seats, like hands on their chin, like watching the action. I just thought it was an extremely engaged crowd. You'd have to, if, if you'd have to be impressed with the environment, Sam, I mean, you sounded like you were, but the one thing I would say is like, this is about a, as perfect a game for a crowd as as you could lay out. I mean, oh, like yeah. the Warriors are playing <laughs> these unbelievable brand of basketball. They basically suddenly have like two Steph Curry's out there where like Jordan Poole's tag teaming in Steph Curry and they're doing the same stuff. Clay Thompson's hitting threes. Draymond Green's, you know, invigorating the crowd, yelling. Like you it, it's pretty easy to cheer for like the Fair. performances they've seen. I, let's pull Fred in. Fred, I might need a little leveling. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm a prisoner of the moment. Um, you know, I wrote this a little bit today. It just went up on the site, like, you know, with the subheadline of are the Warriors for real again. And I mean, it's, you know, it's overreaction time because it's only a couple of games in the first round. But I'm not going to lie. I'm at that game last night and I'm going, damn, these, these guys are cutting that gap between them and Phoenix right away. You're like, they just look explosive. And dangerous and like the kind of squad that I mean I did not see, you know that this type of explosion coming from Jordan Poole and we got this lineup now with Andrew Wiggins and Draymond and Clay and Steph um, and and Jordan it's it's dynamic stuff but uh, what do you think? I like how you're like okay, I need to get level headed. I need a buzz kill. Let's go. Come to in, Buzzkill. I'm always Bill from your apartment life. I don't know what's Fred happening. Fred has with, seen their defensive yeah. metrics with uh, Nemanja Bielitsa on the floor, and he doesn't like it. He does not. Like <laughs> it. No, I think they're really good. I I think this is a specifically really really tough matchup for Denver. Denver just doesn't have the defensive guards to deal with them, and they're or the just center. Pul- yeah, and they're pulverizing them. And I don't know. Draymond might be the best Jokic defender in the whole league. Like he is. He's Draymond, but like he is specifically good against Jokic. He just bothers the living hell out of him, and he's always like that against Jokic. So I just think it's such an unbelievably difficult matchup for Denver. Uh, by, by the way, Draymond, his performance last night was like the ultimate. It's I don't want to call it a legacy game. It's like a first-round game for a guy with a gazillion titles, but like it was like the ultimate Draymond microcosm game, right? Like six points, three boards, and was just freaking unbelievable and and one of the most important guys in that game well and in uh, such a fascinating contrast and Steve Kerr kind of alluded to it because you got Draymond with you know that line and and the line that did not tell the tale and then you know you got the reigning MVP and likely back-to-back MVP that if you just glanced at the counting stats you know was productive again 26 11 and 4 with a, a minus 26 and he was minus 19 in the first game so yeah, quite the uh, the tale of, yeah. of two players. There. They're they're minus forty five with Jokic on the floor in this series. 
Uh, and I think he, he's needed 45 shots for his 51 points. Like, that's not Jokic. He only has 10 total assists in two games. That's not Jokic. They're being allowed to to mostly single-team him. It actually reminds me of the second-round series last year where Phoenix, remember when Phoenix swept the Nuggets and it was like eight and mostly played Jokic one-on-one. And the others just weren't good enough. That is what we're learning with Denver. You know, impressive season from Michael Malone to get them to 48 wins. But this is just not a very good playoff team. And Fred mentioned the reality. Like, it's a horrible you know, strategic matchup for them. They just have no answers, particularly when they throw the small lineup out there. They cannot guard them. There's no answers for them to be able to guard them. And being able to single team Jokic is like, do not overlook that. There are very, very few teams in the league that can, I don't want to say comfortably single team Jokic because you're never comfortable going against them, but but that can single team Jokic and 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 live with it, you know. By the and, way, with it with a six foot five guy who just goes like hands up in the air and he like body bumps him with like his kind of I guess like his pec area. I mean, I, I know we're on Zoom, so you guys are getting the, the more full thing, but you know he plays him so uniquely, right? It's like this. It's he's just showing the refs while he's doing it. I'm not fouling. I'm not fouling. And Jokic is kind of trying to spin, and it's crazy what Draymond can do. Then he's putting on his, his hype man hat. You know, DeMarcus Cousins and Will Barton get into it uh, midway through yeah. the third quarter. And in terms of Draymond's energy, it's like, he, you, listen, you could just put a camera on him and, and have that be, and maybe they, they should do that on, on League Pass because the dude's energy is wild. So if he's on the bench, he's dancing to the music during good times. But during that little back and forth with Cousins and Barton, he wastes no time because he can hear the buzz coming from the fans and that part of the arena because they noticed the Nuggets getting into it with one another. And then naturally, because he plays the perfect heel, he's just going to get everybody fired up. And he's just waving his arms and telling the crowd, like, no, lean into it. They're not getting along. Let's let's make it worse. Yeah, and then he's uh, – he, exactly. And then postgame, he's criticizing the fan. Not you know, remember, he was like, they need to, He's like, they need to see that earlier, and they need to get louder quicker. He, he was like almost on them. Like, you know, solid game from you, but you need to sharpen up in these areas. And <laughs> oh, yeah. then he's like telling us like, all right, now listen to the podcast tomorrow because I got 50 minutes on a podcast That was ridiculous, tomorrow. yeah. He, uh, and he – by the way, the day before, he did a 35-minute between series press conference where he just like went off on like nine wow, different he's topics. almost 25% as available as Sam Presti. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Um, but to, look, t- take me back a month. He re- he returned a month ago after 11 inactive weeks with like this really odd injury, right? It was like a bulging disc related to, the, you know, it made his calf weak and he couldn't even play basketball. And his first like four or five games back were like horrible. Um, and I can be Atlanta, like Danilo Gallinari was cooking them. They didn't even close with Draymond. They went to DC. He was like the, probably the worst player in the first half on the floor. And then something happened at halftime. He was like really pissed at himself and he came out and like probably second possession in DC. He fouls Chris Opsberg as three times on one possession, pushes him over, gets a technical being mad about it, pushes him over again. And these are like, you know, uh, non-shooting fouls gets a flagrant. And then the, Porzingis gets two free throws. They keep possession, and then he fouls Porzingis again three times on one possession. But he was waking himself up, and then that half they lost the game. But that half he had, I think, four steals, five assists. Uh, eventually, gets a technical and pulled out of the game. But then you probably, you guys probably remember the post game. He was like, "I was horrible tonight." He like really criticized himself, and then they played the Suns the next game, and he looked like himself again. And he just woke himself up, and that his Sam mentioned it. It's just like the life he's bringing to the arena when he hits the three and he's yelling at like Joe Lacob on the sideline. Like he just looks like his playoff self. That is one massive thing that makes the Warriors much scarier to the West, particularly Phoenix because him in a small lineup against eight now looks formidable. And like we can get to the Jordan pool thing, but guy looks like a superstar. Right yeah. I was going like, to say there's, there's a, on? there's a Warriors per- perfect storm happening and, and any of these things could fall off and that would have an impact on their kind of their, landscape going forward but the perfect storm is that if i told you going into the playoffs that steph was going to come back and look like steph obviously he's coming off the bench and that'll change soon but steph is going to look like steph clay's going to play well draymond's going to find himself like this those three things would have been great news for the warriors then you add in jordan Poole being the best player of the four Although let's on the offensive side of the ball, but Jordan Poole looking like an all-star Jordan Poole, literally, and this is not exaggeration or, or media narratives where we sit in chase center, Fred, and you've been there in those seats. 
you know, you're just far enough away to look down on the floor and literally have a hard time figuring out which one is Jordan Poole and which one is Steph Curry because of the way they're moving, because of the way they're handling pick and roll, and and the style similarities is, is wild. Yeah, the How flair, absolutely. I don't know what play like sticks out in your mind, Sam, but the one to me well, is he was in transition. Was my, it's yeah, just unbelievable. He yeah, where he like kind of brought Cousins in and then he did like a <laughs> two dribble like step back like you know bring him back to me and then he shoots the corner three and he's like almost already celebrating and it was an absurd shot you know that's a horrible shot generally you know hits it and that's to me that's been the biggest thing over the last month and a half there's like nine different things we could get to with him but he as a rookie was a twenty eight percent three point shooter last year you know probably thirty four thirty five range generally the first several months of the season where he was a really good player, 18 points per game. He was still like a 34, 35% free throw shoot or three point shooter. And you could, you know, anyone who watched this team on a regular basis, he'd like, he'd take those shots that you saw last night, but he'd airball like two a game. It was right. like, you know, and there were head scratchers. They were pull him from the game. There were moments, Steve Kerr's playing him 19 minutes and people are all up in arms. Uh, and now suddenly he is, you know, well, you Steph mentioned Curry these stats at the games later, and I stole that insight for my column. So in the last 20 games, Jordan Poole led in the, of the regular season, led the Warriors in scoring 25.4 a game, and he was 42.6 from three on 9.9 attempts. I mean, that is, that's Steph at his best, and that's a hell of a lot better than Steph was from long range this year. He's so, made more threes than anybody in the NBA by like more than 10 since the start of March. And we are now getting towards later in April. Like for, for a two month stretch, he has been Steph Curry. I right, mean, essentially, right. which is what do you do with that team then? Hey, Slater, I have a question for you. How, how much of his development do you think has to do with the fact that like he has an advantage that no other rookie or not rookie, but when he came into the league, a rookie and a young player coming up that nobody else other than like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman have, which is he gets to play with basketball savants who have already won and are already kind of in the later parts of their primes and Draymond and Steph. How much does just getting to play with those guys rub off on him in terms of his development? Because like, I feel like the thing with Steph is not just that he's a great player. There are a lot of great players. He's he's so unselfish in terms of turning stuff over and 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 teaching and that kind of stuff, at least from the outside. Like how much of, of Jordan Poole come becoming this player has to do with just being around Curry and Draymond specifically all the time? Yeah, his developmental path is like even unique from the other young guys on the team because he was 28th overall pick. You know, he wasn't two. He wasn't seven. He got drafted the season where. It was right after post dynasty. Clay's out for the season and basically like away from the team. Kevin Durant has just torn the Achilles. You know, D'Angelo Russell is is on the team at that point. Steph breaks his hand right away. They go fifteen and fifty, worst team in basketball. He is nowhere near capable of being an NBA player as a rookie. Yet they have to play him twenty five minutes a game at times. And he, you, you go look at his rookie stats. He may have been the worst rotation player in the NBA that season. Um, and because he's the 28th overall pick, there's not like, you know, it's just kind of looks like yeah. a miss and people are like, whatever you missed on the 28th pick. Then the pandemic hits. I mean, they don't even go to the bubble. So he has like 10 months, basically inactive, mostly away, uh, from, from playing competitive basketball and the Steph stuff matters, which you mentioned. And, and he's learned a lot of Steph's tricks. The Draymond stuff matters because you, you're seeing him learn how to use Draymond like Steph uses Draymond with the DHOs and all that stuff. I'm actually writing about that for tomorrow. Uh, there's a unique play early in the season where he rejects a Draymond screen. Draymond's really pissed at him because he keeps rejecting the screen. They yell at each other in the huddle like Draymond tries to go at Jordan Poole. And then now later in the season, Draymond is seeing, oh, he's seeing all the steps up. He knows when to come to the DHL. Anyway, so the, it is a unique environment to help him. But you would ask anyone in that organization, they would say, do not credit us, credit him. He's an absurd worker. Uh, he's out there with Chris DeMarco. I know, Sam, you were mentioning this yesterday. Like he's just He spends crazy amount of time pregame going through every little minute thing that has not changed. Uh, during the pandemic, he would be, you know, I remember when there was bubble playoffs, he would be like texting Chris DeMarco, like plays from the playoffs. And then all they could do because it was pandemic was go to the facility and go one-on-one with you know, coach, one coach, one player, one basket. That was the rule, especially in San Francisco. And they would just run through plays from the bubble playoffs. And he's just, he's been an obsessive worker. And I know that that gets thrown around too much, but 
the people who are around who know what like real work is, the the Stephs, the Draymonds, they're like, no, he is he works like the guy who will become a superstar, and that is a lot of times what 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 changes uh, the trajectory of this guy's career, and it did because he was not. You know, in some ways, Wiseman, Kaminga, they've been handed like, look, you are going to be a big part of this future because of where we drafted you. Jordan Poole, the the team signed Brad Wanamaker to play over him his second season and then sent him to the G League bubble. And you got to be pretty damn good to, to you know, when Clay Thompson comes back to, to have the ripple effect not be, let's find a new home for Jordan Poole. It's Clay Thompson. You know what I mean? Like, you know, now just among media folks, the chatter becomes, man, like, what do they do with Wiggins down the road? Like, is there, you know, are there too many uh, guys in the musical chair game right now? But that's a good problem to have. I mean, or just look at the immediate. They're talking about the starting lineup and Draymond's up there last night. Like, look, everybody, we all know Steph's coming back to the starting lineup. But I don't think Jordan Poole should leave the starting lineup at this point. He's saying that publicly. And you're like, right. all right, let's do the math here. You can only have five starters. Like, it's not you going out of it. If Steph's back, Clay's not going out of it. You're basically telling the world Andrew Wiggins or Kavon Looney, who's like, you know, the, the the most loved guy in the locker room. One of those two is no longer a starter. To me, the obvious answer to that is Looney, who has taken being benched 95 times in his career just fine. Right. Um, but, yeah, he has bumped himself so much into the equation that – I think, you know, it's 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 extension eligibility this summer. You throw the max, you know, it to me. If the Warriors do not offer him the max, he should probably just say no and go to restrictive free agency. But his max does start the moment that Andrew Wiggins' big contract comes up. And to me, that if you wanted to take the zoom out approaches, like that, to me seems at least financially the the change that will be made because Jordan Poole will be starting these playoffs at some point full-time, and ne- by next season, to me, is in the starting lineup full-time. Guys, before uh, we got a lot of other series to get to and so and that def- uh, defense player of the year conversation, my last thought on this series, and I, again, something I hit on with my column, the historical um, context of Jokic, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. It's only two games, but you know the idea of the Nuggets winning four the next five looks extremely unlikely. And the assumption here is that Jokic wins MVP again. So I decided to tackle, you know, kind of just the history and take a look at, what, like, what is the conversation going to be around him, assuming they lose this series? And and also getting into the idea that, you know, people, media fans, all of the above, want their MVPs to put up a fight. It's just a reality. I know it's a regular season award, but voters and fans alike, I'm just, I'm being honest about me, I don't know how you guys feel. Like, yes, I feel better ultimately about the vote when the guy doesn't bow out in the first round. Now, that being said, I don't have regrets. Jokic was my vote for MVP. I think he is the MVP this year, and it's well-deserving. But here's the lay of of that land. Of the 66 MVPs in the history of the league, only five of them have lost in the first round. Now, there's one little asterisk there um, that... You had two sweeps, and so we'll see if he becomes a third. And, and there were weird sweeps. You got Wes Unseld's uh, Washington Bullets, or Baltimore Bullets, in 1969 were swept by the Knicks in four games. Then you have Moses Malone's Rockets in 79 uh, swept in a three-game first-round series. And so only two sweeps, the most infamous, certainly of the modern era, Dirk Nowitzki and his top-seeded Mavs losing to the Warriors, the We Believe Warriors. Um, but five out of 66 losing the first round, you have Kareem as the only player ever to win MVP without even making the playoffs. The rest of the, of the lot, you know, goes much deeper in the playoffs, 23 champions, nine guys who lost in the finals, uh, 20 guys who lost in the conference slash division finals, eight in the second round, uh, thoughts on that front. I, I just don't care. Honestly. So if every MVP for the next twenty years losing in the in the first round, you you don't think we need to rethink how we evaluate? I, I think if every for MVP, MVP for the next twenty years loses in the first round, I think people are going to start throwing the MVP race. That's what I think is going to happen. Uh, no, I'm I just, just trying to make you care, so I'm going extreme. I don't. It's it's not a future looking award. It's not meant to be a prediction, and and it's not. Um, look. I don't like the the whole, well, MVP used to be you have to win 50 games and or finish in the top three in the conference. It was always that. All the way back to, like, I think Moses Malone, the year he won, and I believe that was the year that you're talking about when he got swept, 
because he won a couple, but he won one where they won like 44 games or something like that. And then Russ won in 17 when they win 47 games, I believe that year, uh, 48 games. And they lose in the first round. I just, I think the votership has changed a lot. I think the way that we evaluate it has changed a lot. Obviously, there's there's, there's a different votership group. People who are involved in voting for teams uh, don't necessarily vote. Like it used to be like team broadcasters yeah, yeah, could vote. Yeah. And that's and I a think fairly team broadcast- change, yeah. I think team broadcasters, by the way, were much more prone to voting for winning because it just is a good way to remove uh it's 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 just a good way to evaluate when you actually get a paycheck from a team or get a paycheck from an organization that gets a paycheck from a team. Um and so I think that is part of why we've seen the switch in recent years as well because it perfectly correlates uh it perfectly co-aligns with with getting rid of those broadcaster votes. Uh, I think it's become a more analytically inclined voting base because that's just what has happened to the game over the last 30 years. Uh, I just, it's not supposed to be a prediction of what's going to happen in the playoffs. It's supposed to be whatever you want it to be, who was the most valuable to their team, who had the best regular season, whatever it is. And I think we could flip the argument on its head and say, if you want to say Jokic isn't the MVP because he got swept out of the first round or lost in six or whatever it is, I I think we can flip it on its head and say, holy crap, this team just got annihilated in the first round and Jokic dragged it to 48 wins. Yeah, see, that's that's where I'm at, where I'm like, I think the biggest argument for him was like, how the hell do they win 48 games? And I think in this series, you're seeing like that play out. Their supporting cast is just not playoff level at all without Porter and Murray. I mean, who's their second best player? Oh, we talked about it last night. I mean, Barton or Gordon, you know, it's not. Gordon's pretty, been yeah. horrible this series. They've just Gordon's so is Jokic though. Here, I was going to say the the optics would be better if if Nikola had actually played like Nikola, and, and we can't gloss over the fact that during the regular season he did not allow these types of things to happen, even to very good teams or, or against very good teams. I mean, twenty five points on twenty five shots in game one, you know, minus twenty six in game two, losing his composure, even having Michael Malone come as close as I've heard him in quite some time to calling his MVP out when it comes to the way that he comported himself last night. I mean, also, he, he to got add rattled. to your point, clearly the target of what the Warriors are doing offensively, right? Just drag yeah. him into every action, tire him out, get him in high screen. He's not just a product of the environment with what's happening right now. Yeah, you, I mean, there's that's valid. He's not playing He's not playing like Nikola Jokic and, and, and defensively, there is a... Um, What's the word? There's a gap between what the advanced metrics say about Jokic's defense and what we see from his defense. It is good in the regular season, but you're right. The Warriors are preying on him defensively. They're putting him in ball screens all the time, and that's clearly been a major part of their offense. That said, another major part of their offense is that they're putting those Denver guards in ball screens because the Denver guards are just not they're not getting over that. Doesn't it remind you of the Rudy Gobert defensive player of the year debate last year where he's just unbelievable in the regular season. Every metric tells you he's historic. He's great. And then in the playoffs, it's like, you know, man, you're kind of being somewhat exposed. You're being targeted in a particular scheme. And guess what? Your supporting cast, which, you know, Utah or Gobert people would argue is making this so much worse for you because Utah couldn't help Gobert in so many ways. He need, you know, it happens a lot. I mean, a even Giannis, Giannis, I mean, I also. MVP. One yeah, thing yeah. that we should note, I don't think Jokic is some sort of flawed playoff player. I think he's played two oh, bad Jokic amazing games. Playoff like he he historically yeah. has yeah. annihilated in the playoffs every right. single That's, year. He's yeah, had he's two right. He's had two bad playoff games against Golden State. He could come back in game three and have an unbelievable one and totally change his narrative on the series because they take it to six or whatever. I mean that is, is supremely possible. He's not a flawed playoff player. He has been a great playoff Agreed. player. Agreed. And defensively, he hasn't been exposed to the point that it's destroyed his team in the playoffs either. Gentlemen, uh, where do you want to go next? I feel like Fred's an he's, ad he's break, here. Samuel Amick. I think we should oh, go to an ad break. Look at you, break. pulling the right strings. Let's do an ad. We got to tease something. What are we teasing? Are we going? Uh, de- do we want to talk anything that happened? Maybe Memphis, Minnesota. We yeah, can Fred, keep two. that energy on Defensive Player of the Year. You're going to bring up the caboose here because I don't want to lose that spirit. How about we'll do a section of what has impressed you most in the initial games of the playoffs, and we'll all pick something. How Beautiful. On the other side of the break, we'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, guys, we're going to make the rounds beyond Warriors Nuggets in these first round of the playoffs. Um, You know, we're recording early on a Tuesday. I just lost track of the schedule on my screen here, but we got a lot of action coming up. I mean, Utah-Dallas, you know, played last night, the the Jazz, um, just drop an absolute opportunity to go up to nothing against the Luka Doncic list Mavs. So that was not impressive. You have Philly dominating Toronto, uh, Bucks and Bulls coming up tonight. Uh, pick a direction. What do you, what's jumping out to y'all? Say it. Fred Katz, what has impressed you most through 11 playoff games? Uh, can we talk about Anthony Edwards in that game one? Please. That's your series, right, Fred? Yeah, that's my series. It's fresh on my wow, mind. the disrespect, Fred. I did not introduce you as Memphis Grizzlies temporary beat writer for The Athletic. Apologies. Inter- interim reporter. Yes. It's a great... I'm the uh, I'm the Sachin Gupta of the Memphis Grizzlies beat. <laughs> he's, he's Alvin Gentry. No, you're the Zach Kleiman. It's permanent, man. <laughs> um, let's talk about Anthony Edwards. Man, ridiculous. I mean, it's un- 36 points in game one. Throwing up outrageous shots. And I just think it's so funny. I don't know if funny is the right word. I don't have my mind today. Uh, I, <laughs> you are talking to the wrong crowd because we are on fumes <laughs> over here. It's it's unbelievable to me. Not knowing Anthony Edwards at all. I've never met him. I've never interviewed with him. I've never dealt with him. But the the thing that everybody asked about Anthony Edwards coming into the league was does he like basketball enough? And there were some there were some basketball questions that people had. He he took a lot of pull up jumpers. Shot selection in college wasn't great, but like people people genuinely asked, does he really truly love basketball? And you look at the way he plays in the postseason, and it's like man, that dude is so unafraid. You look at the way he celebrates after a play a play in win, and like he plays with so much joy and so much confidence. It's unbelievable to see a second year dude, his age just dropping 36 against the defense. That's been really the best defense in the West. The second in 2022 since new year's. Uh, yeah. Jaron Jackson was in foul trouble the first half of that game and, and towns had his way with Steven Adams, but to see uh, uh, essentially a kid come out and have that sort of playoff performance in his first ever playoff game, He's out swagging the, the swaggiest team that we thought there was, right? Like the Grizzlies, you know, they 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 run up the chimney. They want all the smoke. And now they're facing this Timberwolves team that has some of that with Anthony. And and the way that he has picked up Carl Anthony Towns in that play-in game. And I don't say that with an ounce of disparagement. Carl has responded and been impactful so far. Uh, it's early, but man, it's a fun series. They're fun to watch. And Edwards 100% looks like a perennial all-star for a very long time. Didn't that pre-draft storyline that you're mentioning come from like some quote he had? I don't know if it was like a GQ article, some profile on him where he was like, I think he might have been like talking about football and how he liked football more growing up. And it was kind of a winding quote that, you know, struck people like, uh-oh, he's not, you know, absolutely dedicated to the sport. But some one thing we've learned, I think, early in his career, like the guy's just like, I don't know, he's he's a little unfiltered as a quote. And he's great. I mean, he's, he's completely unfiltered. He's yeah. an unbelievable yeah. quote. And it's like... 
He's already campaigning so sometimes for. Sometimes we take small things way too for sure, for sure serious pre-draft. And the other thing I'd say, I mean, you're mentioning the way he's playing, but because of what he is as a personality, not only is he look like he has the potential to be a perennial All Star, to me he looks like he's got the potential to be like a big time star for a league that is seeing some of their bigger stars phase out. Right, LeBron's entering the late stages of his career. Even Steph, 34, like they need big time stars to emerge. And there are a lot across the league. And Edwards looks like maybe he might be one. What's pretty amazing, too, is like he did it against multiple defenders. The Grizzlies change up how they were guarding him. They put Dylan Brooks on him in the second half. We've talked about Dylan Brooks on this podcast before. He is a he is a mother blanker like he goes at you (laughs) and he don't ever do that again. Just say the word. (laughs) He is he goes at that's what Scott Brooks used to say. He's a mother blanker Or, or sometimes he'd say a blank blanker. I don't know why he's blanking out mother. Mother's fine. Like he's a blank blanker. I feel like if you're saying mother, then you just say the other word because you, you, it's you. Everyone knows what you're saying. You leave the other word out now. I feel like you're talking about. I don't know. You're playing the podcast. Mothers. Playing yeah. the podcast in the car. You got the the four year old in the back seat. It's a little jarring. Fred's it's a family. Doesn't pod. know. I'm okay. Let's go family. Pod. Fred, Let's Fred, go. I want to ask you though quickly on this series. Um, because, you know, particularly, I know, being around the Warriors, they are watching it very closely. That's who they're lined up with. And their thought is, like, you know, Memphis. That's what they've been thinking all season. They'd have to go to Memphis. They're the two seed. I know we're talking, you know, hours before they play game two. But, like, did you feel like game one was a sign, like, uh-oh, this might go seven, uh-oh, like Minnesota has a legitimate shot here? Or was that, like, one of those, you know, like Memphis last season as the eight seed, for example, won game one in Utah and then got swept, essentially. Uh, after that, what do you? What is your sense of what's coming? I think Memphis can definitely win. I, I I think Minnesota can definitely win. I I I think Memphis is still the favorite in my mind to win the series. Uh, they just have more talent, and but Minnesota has been playing unbelievable basketball. They're a different team the second half of the season, and and to me, the ultimate thing that it's going to hinge on is Carl Anthony Towns. You know, they Memphis started that that first game with Steven Adams guarding Towns. And and one of the big differences, you know, Adams guarded Towns most of the regular season. And historically, what Towns does when Adams guards him is he'll just, he'll spend a lot of time on the perimeter. He'll score a ton of points. <laughs> yes, and he'll do a lot of it from the perimeter because Towns is ridiculous from the perimeter, whether that means just shooting over him or being able to get to the hoop. And so what Adams kind of did during that game one against him was he was really trying to get up into him. Which, young Steven Adams, 2016 against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, Steven Adams, sure. Nowadays, Steven Adams, he he's not, doesn't have the foot speed that he used to. He's not going to be able to do that. And I thought Towns really had his way with him. Uh, later in, in the half, they put Jaron Jackson on Towns a little bit. But Jaron Jackson is like one of the most, he's the most foul-prone great defender in the league. He, was, he had the second most personal fouls in the NBA this year. And we saw that in game one. He played eight minutes in the first half. And so if you put him on Towns, that you're going to have to worry about that. You also kind of lose his ability to roam and help and protect the rim if Towns is going to spend time on the perimeter. So that's a little tough, too. They tried Brandon Clark on him a little bit. And then they went back to Adams at the start of the second half, too. And Towns just kind of had his way with Adams. And and how Minnesota or how Memphis adjusts in game two to what they're going to do with Towns, who's going to guard him, how they're going to scheme for him, I think is really going to swing the series. I think Taylor Jenkins is a really good and really bright coach. And I'm just extremely curious to see how he's going to come out in game two because I mean Towns is an unbelievable player he's had an unbelievable year and he he killed it in game one and if he is going to pound those matchups and if Jackson if they're going to find a way to get Jackson into foul trouble to where he can only play like 24 minutes I mean he had seven blocks in 24 minutes but he also had five fouls and and if if they can get him off the floor which is doable um you know that's that's Changes that is really big. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'd go small if I was Jenkins. Uh, you know, and that is Jackson at center, and maybe that does make him more vulnerable to foul trouble. But also, you know, play some Xavier Tillman, play some Brandon Clark. You know, it, to me, Jenkins coached that too much like a regular season game, and they've shown so much incredible depth this season. But we all know depth becomes a little bit more nullified in the playoffs when teams. Typically, good teams, you know, trim their rotation to eight or nine. It's their best players. They're playing more minutes. Um, and strategies and matchups matter. And I just, to me, Stephen Adams in this series 
isn't a good thing for Memphis. The, the other thing you can do is, I mean, like the what the Clippers did with Towns in the playing game, which didn't win them the game, but certainly bothered Towns, is you can put Smalls on him. I mean, you can even do Jackson on, on Towns, but you can just be more prone to switch. Like, if you have Dylan Brooks on Towns, maybe it's not the end of the world. And then, and then you know, off the ball, you can kind of have those kind of like scram switches, you know, behind the ball, which, you know, like the Warriors do so much. And and you could try to get your big back onto Towns that way. Uh, but maybe that's something that they could do if they do Jackson on Towns to just be able to have more maneuverability because you're smaller. You got a lot of switchable defenders. That's one of the strengths of that Memphis defense. And, and that could be that could be an option as well. You don't just have to guard everybody straight up man to man. Sam Amick, what is your most impressive <laughs> thing you've seen through 11 playoff games? Uh, well, partly because it's the most impressive and and also because it has the most shelf life from a conversation standpoint. Uh, tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening, the Brooklyn Nets and Boston Celtics will be playing game two. And that was a great game one, wasn't it? It feels like a conference final series, and I think the viewing audience is going to enjoy the hell out of this entire back and forth. Uh, the Boston Celtics... Barely hold on to this thing. Incredible final sequence. And we don't need, you know, that's been hashed out the last couple of days on our pods. Um, but they, you know, they, they hold serve at home and Kyrie obviously going back and forth with the fans, Durant struggling offensively, nine of 24, losing Jason Tatum in that final sequence, but spinning it forward. One For me, what I love so much about this matchup is that on the Boston side, you know, you have this interesting human story all season long with Ime Udoka coming in hot as a rookie head coach, trying to tell these old head Celtics stars and players that they have got to finally break their bad habit of, you know, far too much ISO ball, not moving the ball. And and, and this is something he chipped away at early, was effective with and, and got buy-in and they are a different team than they were last season. They have to an extent kind of figured out their own kryptonite so to have them matched up against a Nets team that still has, you know, the the two biggest stars in the series. I mean, Tatum, you can maybe jam him in between Kevin and Kyrie, but you know, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving are are bad men, but they are at least in Game One and maybe going forward suffering from a similar affliction to what ailed the Celtics in the past, where Steve Nash has got to figure out how to not have this team offensively. Um, just have it be your turn, my turn. And Seth Curry gets seven shots. I think that's not enough. Uh, and, and you know, just the, the dynamics and the layers to this matchup, not even to mention the history between Kyrie and Boston and, and the emotional aspect of that. Uh, this one is a lot of fun to watch. It is. Um, you know, I think you're relatively, you know, besides the end result in that t- Tatum layup, if you're Brooklyn, I mean, you got to like how game one looked. Kyrie was obviously great, but Durant wasn't like, you know, otherworldly. It wasn't just two guys dragging them to the doorstep of a win. You know, well, and thought- they beat the hell out of Kevin too, which is a larger topic yeah. about the playoffs in general. Um, just the idea that the refs are clearly flipping that switch that rightfully irritates a lot of people where it's like, oh, I guess we're just playing – 80s basketball again yeah i yeah. It, to me a lot of that is just like the defenders just ratchet up the physicality and the refs you know what i also hate like you know which actually happened in the brooklyn boss game which was whistle 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 right away and it's like you know if you play really you know good up into you defense and you you make like this is the type of game that's being played eventually refs just can't call everything and that, that's the playoffs i like playoff basketball much more than regular season basketball so personally yeah. i'm like Good, like, right? I guess I'm. A, I am a little sympathetic for the Jokic's and the Durants of the world, who it takes you a few games to adjust. Where, you know, I, and maybe it's on them. They should be ready. But it, yeah, it, well, it, I think some of the supporting different. cast, right? Like this, just it's it's the playoffs, uh, and you know, it's not only just the referees, but you know, the, the scouting reports and strategies, game plans are much more ruthless, right? Ime Adoka during the regular season probably is not hammering for five days straight before the series starts. You know. We got to chip them on everything. You got to nail them off ball. You got to do this. Like, no, but playoffs, you're going to do that. Just like the Warriors are going to drag Jokic into every action because they know even if it doesn't tire them out enough in game one, if this gets to game five, game six, like this is what they've always done. They used to do it to Chris Paul. Um, they used to have it done to Steph Curry by Ty Lue and the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? This is playoff basketball. It's what makes it entertaining, even more entertaining. It's strategic to me, so... Um, but as far as like Drogic played pretty well, Bruce Brown, like 
Brooklyn looked a little bit deeper than maybe we thought. I, I, I Fred, who's winning the series? I think Boston's winning the series. Even Why? without Robert Williams. I mean, I thought they were winning coming in. I think Boston is a great, a great example of how defensively the sum of your parts can be greater than your whole. Like it's such an unbelievable advantage to just not have one guy you can target on defense. Like you look at how Brooklyn was operating and it seemed like the guy in certain lineups who they wanted to target the most, like down the stretch was like Derek White, who's really good. It's just, it's just really, it's such a difference when you have five guys who are all just above average or above average to excellent, then maybe having four guys who are excellent and one guy who's a weak spot. It just completely changes the way that offenses have to operate. And I think we saw that with the way that, that Brooklyn was operating. And Brooklyn tends to go very, you know, your turn, my turn with 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 KD and Kyrie and not a lot of off-ball action and that kind of stuff. And I think when you have a defense where it's just like, I look to my left and there's Marcus Smart and he's excellent. And I look to my right and there's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and they're they're very good and they play good team defense and they can all guard the ball. And I think Derek White has been, in spite of kind of modest counting numbers, I think he's been a phenomenal addition for them since he came and has been tremendous for them being the best defense in the league. Uh, and then you even look to their bench and it's like, Grant Williams is good and physical as hell. Uh, and when they get Robert Williams a third back, uh, if that happens later in the playoffs, I mean, he is arguably their best defensive player. Uh, so so I just, Boston's defense would scare the living crap out of me and they play really well and cohesively, but it's also just such a testament to just not having a weak spot that's exploitable. Because the playoffs, you just exploit weak spots like you were just talking about it. And there's just not an exploitable weak spot there. The, the last thing I'd say on this series, just kind of somewhat to answer Sam's question about who's going to win, uh, I would have said Brooklyn if Jason Tatum doesn't make that layup. I'd now say Boston because he did. I think that shot in that moment was that big. I don't know, Fred, like let's say Brooklyn's up 1-0 right now. Like that Tatum play never happens. Are you saying Brooklyn if they're up 1-0? I mean, I, I thought Boston would win coming into the series, so I think I'd still... I think I'd still pick Boston, but sure. I mean, I feel worse. That just felt like didn't say. I don't know. Didn't that just feel like such a backbreaker for Brooklyn to play that type Uh, of game? Was it was wild too? Because guys, that was a playoff opener. That was a first round opener. It felt like a finals game. But yes, and in fact, I I share this only because of context. I think this speaks to it. You know, Bill Simmons, uh, famed Celtics fan and Bostonian put up a cool picture where he watched the game with his father and highlighted the fact that in all of his lifetime of games in Boston, he'd never seen a buzzer beater. So, you know, they were soaking it up. So it was, it was a backbreaking type of game. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll flip it the other way though and say with the cliche of like, I don't, I don't know if I'm betting against Kevin Durant. Um, the the so layup, they're, they're the layup buzzer beater is rare too, right? <laughs> Every buzzer beater in your brain almost. Is it was like a work of art, footer. man. You could slow that play down, you know, and I tweeted about Durant losing Tatum and, you know, and I don't blame him because he thought for one, Marcus Smart's history and, and Slater, I don't want to skip over your playoff observations, but I feel like we have a, a, a layup uh, segue here to, well, Fred. we got an ad break so you can hype him coming into an ad break. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. But my last thought there is just that like, you know, Smart, um, offensively evolving into a guy who I think, uh, man, was it LeBron? Somebody tweeted about, about Marcus's Oklahoma state days and just the Draymond idea. green tweeted. It was Draymond. Thank By you. By the way, shout out to the Oklahoma state Cowboys. Yeah. We got a cowboy in the crowd here. All right, go ahead, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, putting that point guard hat on again, like his college days. And so he passes up that look on the left wing, you know, pump fake two bodies fly by, penetrate find a cutting Tatum who you know sneaks by Durant uh, blouses uh, you know with the spin move and, and kind of the chef's kiss it was pretty reminded me a little of that LeBron on the heat against Paul George's Pacers game winner remember that it was like game one or game two like I think it was the east finals several years ago where it was like it was more off an inbound but it was a catch go to the rim you just don't yeah. see buzzer beating layups it's like just rare but yeah anyway. yeah um all right on the other side of the break we're gonna talk Defensive player of the year. Fred's got the heat. We'll be right back. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, the final segment. Fred Katz has been revving up his hot takes the entire time. This is going to be an ISO, Sam. Just, I'm going to stand in <laughs> the right ISO. corner. You're going you're gonna to give him the little like handoff at the top of the key and then run over to the left corner. <laughs> We're here for you, Fred. So Marcus Smart wins Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I don't know. I guess the only way I'll throw it to you is um, both y'all voted, correct? Am I correct on that? Yes. No, uh, I, I didn't have a vote. Okay. Uh, Slater, let's let's do a quick reveal, if you don't mind. What did your Yeah, you tell yours the, first. I'm going to go make sure what I did. I had Jaron Jackson Jr. as the defensive player of the year, the guy that didn't even wind up as a finalist or in the top three. Um, I had... Oh, the sleep deprivation. I had it. I, I can tell off. you. I know I had Gobert three. and then I had I Gobert had, three and Mikael Bridges second. That's what I had. Bridges yeah, two, I Gobert had, three. Yeah, I had Bridges and Smart one, two. I believe I did Mikael Bridges one, Marcus Smart two, Rudy Gobert three. Um, so you I had Smart two. Yeah, I personally don't have some like steaming opinion on it. I mean, I, 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 I can hear the Smart argument. I can hear the Bridges argument. I can hear the Gobert argument, really. But uh, Fred Katz sounds like he's got some some takes. So, Fred, what you guys would your are top three let have looked like? These listeners so much because I am not nearly as steaming as you're selling right now. Well, now's uh, the part where you fake it. <laughs> I I was Bridges one smart two by the way. Um, I just I I think we, I think the the whole the game is perimeter focused. And thus, let's give it to a perimeter player has gone too far. 
That's my general take on voting, and I I don't agree with it. The number one most what has gone too? Shot, can you repeat yourself? What has gone too far? Because I was looking at the Slack channel this, just like, to confirm. It says Fred Katz. I have DPOY takes. I'm just gonna you know apply that little pressure here. Uh, but I do. But what is I do? Okay, I'll say it emphatically. Far? I'll say it yeah. emphatically, and I'll throw people under the bus. All right. Here's my here's my like narrative take. Uh. All the time, we hear from every single great player that fill-in-the-blank gets no respect. Every time Nick Wright says some analytics-related crap about Jokic, we hear Jokic gets no respect, no one respects Jokic, even though he's about to win his second straight MVP. If Embiid doesn't win MVP, we hear anticipatory stuff about how Embiid doesn't get any respect. How could he possibly not win MVP? Every time Skip Bayless says something about LeBron, LeBron gets no respect. Everyone gets no respect. I don't think anyone actually gets no respect. Everyone gets equally disrespected because everyone has haters because that's the way the world is in 2022. There is one consistent all-star who I actually think gets disrespected, and it's Rudy Gobert, who for some reason, everybody loves to shit on. And I feel so passionately about it, I'm saying shit on on the family podcast. So... Listen, blanker. it's it's a mother blanker, man. You know what I mean. <laughs> you get you get it's a mother blanker. You get our guy Anthony Edwards coming out being like he's not intimidating. Kristaps Porzingis is the more intimidating rim protector. You get you get yeah, other that people. That was a wild quote by your guy uh, Anthony Edwards. <laughs> Makes me wonder if he even likes basketball. No, sorry. <laughs> you get you get other players when he wins Defensive Player of the Year taking like swipes. At, like you know he gets exposed during the playoffs. You get. An entire group of basketball fans, like 90% of basketball fans talking about him as the reason that they lost to the Clippers last year, which quite honestly, I don't believe. It wasn't really a Rudy Gobert thing against the Clippers last year. It was more that none of their perimeter defenders could stay in front of the ball, and that exposed just their their what defense is going to be good when everyone is constantly hitting the paint. He's not a superhero. Uh, We live in an age where still, in spite of all the three-point shooting, the most important part of the floor to protect is still the paint. And it's not just because the layup or the dunk is the most efficient shot because you can get fouled on it and because you shoot the highest percentage. It's also because a significant portion of threes actually occur because you hit the paint. Because when you hit the paint, defenses collapse in and then you hit your corner threes. Look at what happened in, in that Dallas game last night against Utah. Utah's defenders could not stay in front of Jalen Brunson or whomever had the ball. And Dallas just crunch time every single time. Hit the paint. Utah collapses in. They help off the corner and they hit Kleba in the corner or they hit Dorian Finney-Smith in the corner. It happened every single time. You want someone who can protect the paint. Utah's defense fell off this year. And in case you can't tell, I would have voted for Rudy Gobert. Utah's defense fell off this year. They fell out of the top 10. They still had like a 104 defensive rating when Rudy Gobert was on. They stunk when he was off the floor. It was almost 10 points worse when he was off. Yeah. 100, 104, by the way, would be by far the best defensive rating in the league if it belonged to a team. He was as good as ever. He was tremendous. You look yeah. at his numbers, guys who were shooting layups and dunks shot 49% when he was the closest defender. It's the second best figure in the league, tied with Jaron Jackson Jr. I, I he, he was tremendous this year. I think Utah was a really bad vibes team. Yeah. And I think that contributes to it. And I think Rudy Gobert has just been, has been, there's been so much shit talked about Rudy Gobert in the last 12 months that I think he's just kind of fallen off in people's it's minds. It's more than but that. I, I mean, it, you he know, was great he just this year. goes back to the to the bubble, um, you know, or the COVID situation. You know, he 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 got the label of patient zero during that time. I, this is probably a longer conversation. I'm just gonna be honest, though. Part of it is like, man, I you know, is it cultural? Like, I don't know what it is. The personality. Um, there is something like he got a sign on his head that says, you know, go ahead and come at me when it comes to the conversation. There is if you can't come at me the one basketball thing, wise. The one thing I would say against the Gobert candidacy, there is a belief with players, you know, I obviously cover a team that has been outwardly critical of him at times. Dun, 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 that you can Draymond just Green. target him somewhat <laughs> in certain matchups. Like the he they came for a huge late season game in Chase Center where it was like basically felt like the four, three, four, five seed was on the line. Tiebreaker was on the line. And the Jazz blew a 
I think they had a 21-point lead, but they gave up an 18-0 run. Sam, you probably remember the game. I know you were watching it. Uh, and all they did was just like run high screen with Gobert's guy. Gobert was in drop, and he just like allowed Clay Thompson to step in and hit like six straight threes. And they were like, the Warriors were basically like post game, like, wow, can't believe they just let Gobert just sit out there and drop coverage the whole time. That was crazy. And they targeted it. And I do think there's a point from some people that it's like, we're never targeting Marcus Smart. We're never targeting Mikel Bridges. Draymond Green is never targeted. Rudy Gobert in certain matchups, I watched it, was targeted. And that just doesn't happen elsewhere. I mean, the counter to that is that Marcus Smart or, or you know, I mean, you got to flip it the other way as well. They're not impacting the game positively like Rudy does on the regular. So you have to balance that out. What do you mean? Bit. I mean, like, what do you mean Mikel's not like impacting the game positively? You're like, not Mikel having... Bridges, I think every game, even if like the on offs aren't like exactly what like what Gobert's are like. Mikel Bridges is an awesome perimeter defender every game. Yeah, he is, but they're. Actually, and this is ironically, I think it's fine sharing this. This kind of made me laugh a little bit that Rudy, I know for a fact, is very respectful of all of his fellow defensive player of the year candidates, but also aware that Mikhail's team was better defensively when he was off the floor uh, than he was when he was on. And, you know, those kinds of things do matter. Now, the Suns are just a far better defensive team. Than the Jazz. That's the other thing that Fred kind of alluded to is the Jazz roster-wise have slowly but surely disintegrated. You know, Royce O'Neal is not what he used to be. Uh, Mike Conley's getting older. You know, they they have holes. How many all threes over the did they give up to a Luka Doncic list Mavericks yesterday? But Dallas at like twenty-three threes or something like that. Yeah, they had twenty in game one. Yeah, Maxi Kleber hit 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 more threes in that game, I think, than he's hit since March first. Because, by the way, Dallas went small against Gobert. Yeah. No, I mean you're right, but also uh, because Jalen yes. Brunson got yeah. into the paint every freaking time. Yeah, you're right. And you're once right. you're in the this paint and the defense is collapsed, I should what say, is he supposed to do? I I voted Gobert third defensive player of the year, so I'm not just like acting like he's like, and you know, and if I had a ballot for what it's worth. This is becoming more a conversation about basketball ethics than it is becoming ethics. about the players. Yes, you hear this ethics. guy, Sam? This is, this is our ethos of what we believe about the game. Maybe this is what happens when you cover Tibbs and you're like, give it to the rim protector. And then maybe 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 that's what happens. But I, I would have had Marcus Smart on my ballot. I would have had Mikael Bridges on my ballot. I would have had all those guys first team. That's why you're not hearing me say anything about... You know, Marcus Smart negative. I freaking love Marcus Smart. I think he's the best defensive guard in the league. And I think Bridges is the best defensive wing in the league. I will Can say, I? shout out colleague and, and friend uh, Tom Haverstrow had a pretty good take on the Smart stuff. He was he was picking apart the press release, or it might have been the ESPN news story, on the Smart Defensive Player of the Year award. And it was like, you know, Smart, who was seventh in the league in steals and whose team was the best in the NBA. And every everything that was highlighted – like you were waiting for the the uh, compelling evidence um, that that he was truly head of the class, and in terms of the way the game gets evaluated, defensive metrics obviously are stream, you know still very imperfect, but it's a tough sell. Um, it's a tough sell. He's a fantastic defensive player, but you know anytime you're not sure which one to pick on that defense, that's always challenging, right? Because before Robert Williams got hurt, you know, he was in the conversation. So yeah. for me, that's when I, yeah, I think they might have both been first team all defense for me. Uh, so that's that's fair. Can I just I want to transition to to, to my um, like most impressive thing in the first 11 games yes, you're as we transit as we get out of here on us. Yes. Um, and because I think this relates to, to what we're talking about. My, Miami's defense was outrageous against Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, Trey Young had just couldn't go anywhere. And it was because they played a switching scheme. They're just obviously loaded with great, versatile, just vet defenders. Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Nasty Tucker. dudes. Bam Adebayo can switch. Yep. That's big. Bam Adebayo is a switch center, and he was getting out, and he was getting on Trey Young on the perimeter. He's not playing drop coverage. And it just swallowed Atlanta up. And and that was as, probably as dominating as any game one performance by any team across the league. And, you know, Bam Adebayo, I think, was, you know, I saw a quote from him down in Miami. He was a little bit, you know, perturbed, whatever you want to say, that he wasn't in the defensive player. He wanted of the, year the award, yeah. No, he thought yeah, he only, was the guy. only reason I, I wouldn't have him on my fake ballot is because games, games played. It's the same with Draymond, 26 right? games. You Draymond can't... probably would have won it if he did. Well, but Gobert he, won exactly. it. I mean, the, the counter there is that Gobert won it a few years ago with more games missed. So yeah, there is precedent. It's, 
Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I just that's I wanted to talk about Miami. Talk they looked so good defensively, and I'm just it, it, we're we'll sleeping see. on them, Slater. We yeah. are. I mean, we why do we not ever give them love for what they did in the bubble? Like that was a real run. Jimmy Butler was you know it was a modern the day. The bubble just seems like man. outrageous. In no, retrospect, it was like, come on, it was these dudes are away. It was from real. Their Sam was there. So he's like, it was real. Come on. No, I, I know, but I just my like mind. Like I, I couldn't even imagine focusing on basketball every night and being ready. These dude, I, I, I don't take the Lakers championship away from them. I, I mean, yeah, the fan component, this and that, it was real. And Jimmy Butler was a, a modern day Allen Iverson taking on the Lakers back in the day. Like it was David and Goliath, and he was incredible. And that kind of, you know, that fabric. They're and much that foundation now. is is still there. Yeah, and they're much deeper, right? Adebayo's healthy, wasn't in those finals. Um, yeah. Lowry has obviously been just a monster addition. Tyler Hero is probably going to win sixth man of the year. Max Struess is suddenly starting and looking great. Duncan Robinson in a bench role can still kind of fill it up a little bit. They are. I agree with you. Like to me, they're the. the they're being slept on it. Like to me, they're, they remain kind of, I guess the dark horse contender. That's not being talked about enough. And they well, you talk that. about the switchiness. It's not, I mean, bam, bam is, is maybe the best switchy defensive center in the entire league. But like Jimmy Butler switch, unbelievably physical. Kyle Lowry can switch unbelievably physical. All those guys can stick with smaller guys and battle bigger guys. PJ Tucker, I mean, it's they just have so many guys, and 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 Struess in the starting lineup gives them a defensive component that they don't necessarily have. If Duncan Robinson is out there, I think he's just kind of a more mobile defender than Duncan Robinson. He's a little more slippery, so I I think that helps them defensively, and is part of the reason why they do it. They just man, that defense is so good. There are a lot of really good cohesive defensive teams right now. There are, and Atlanta looks in trouble in that series. So we will see what happens there. Slater had to bounce to his next obligation. Fred, I appreciate you, my friend. We are going to be doing this all through the playoffs. Are you feeling it yet? I know, you know, you'd be better if you were in the arena and, and you know, that part. Uh, we, we'll see what happens on that front. But, but you know, playoff basketball is here. What, what are your, what's your vibe? My vibe's great. Get to watch basketball every night. Get paid for it. It's wonderful. I'm good. Good stuff. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Be good. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.